Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. Hello and welcome to a very special cricket collective on TalkSport 2. As you know by now, TalkSport 2 will be your home of international cricket throughout England's upcoming tour of South Africa. Three ODIs and three T20s as the two teams reprise their rivalry from earlier this year. And to mark this, today's show is a look back at the four test series which took place over Christmas and New Year. And to do that... I'm pleased to say that alongside myself, John Norman, I'm joined by a man who played in England's series win in South Africa back in 2004-05 and who was part of our commentary team earlier this year as the visitors came from a match down to seal the series in thrilling fashion. As you'll note, there were plenty of twists and turns along the way and the only man, talk sport man, to be there for every single day of the entire two-month tour is also with us for the next couple of hours. Delighted to say it's the Laurel to Harmies Hardy. <laughs> it's the Talk Sport Breakfast Show's very own Sam Ellard. And over the next couple of hours, uh, we will all be joined together on a journey from the Talk Sport Christmas meal in Johannesburg through calls for Joe Root sacking after the first test. We'll find out exactly what it was like on the hill in Cape Town throughout that pulsating final session. And we finish up in The Wanderers, where Mark Wood once again starred away from home. This is the story of England's Test Tour of South Africa, and you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Hi, Sam. Great to see you. Um, Okay, well, it seems like a different world in some regards. There was no coronavirus, there was no Trump refusing to hand over the keys to the White House. Um, It was just a very different uh, time. Sam, uh, you were the (laughs) first and last talk sport person on the ground. You you arrived, I think, the 14th of December and uh, you came back to the UK, I think... Maybe the 15th, I think. Well, you arrived on the 15th, left on the 14th. I booked your flights. Um, But look, Unlike myself and Harmy, you'd never been to South Africa before. No. So just just give us your, your first yeah, impressions. First impressions, it's um different in terms of I remember getting to the airport, 
and there's obviously um, a lot of security, maybe more so than what you would find in, in England. And to be completely honest with you, I think I'm boring Harmy already. Yeah, no, can you hear that huge <laughs> yeah. yawn? Yeah. We're, we're, we're 30 seconds <laughs> in, and he's, he's yawning already. That's no, no, it wasn't a yawn. Sorry, Harmy. Was Sorry, it wasn't a yawn. Okay. There was definitely um, somebody there yawning. Was a, there was a noise, but I didn't. it wasn't wasn't a noise. I moved, the chair moved, but I wasn't. We've, got oh, two, yeah. we've still got two hours, Harmy. But <laughs> no, no it's, um, it's, it's different. I mean, I was very excited, but I remember just before we flew out, we had sort of um, a security briefing here at Talksport Towers, and that sort of probably... Scares the hell out of you, Yeah, I think that's fair. It certainly opens your eyes up to, to, to what to expect. And, uh, yeah, first impressions, you, if I'm being honest, maybe a little bit on edge. We, you know, we, m- making sure you're, you're in the right places and you're not in the wrong places and you're you know looking after yourself. But, yeah, first impressions, that was going into Joburg. That was definitely first impressions. A little bit of... Yeah, a little bit scared. Yeah, it's a very different experience, isn't it? Um, we'd been in Sri Lanka and West Indies where uh, there's parts of the Caribbean where you've got to be a little bit careful. But, essentially, you know countries where you feel you don't have to you don't feel an edge when you're walking around but we were positioned or situated at a hotel in Johannesburg for those who um, have never been which was I imagine less than half a kilometer from the main tourist mm-hmm. mall Santon um, Superstore it's a complex of, of, of restaurants and shops and it's a mall it's banks it's, and it's and it's got armed guards there as well incredibly safe but you were advised not to walk there. And it's very strange when you get to a place and you can you can see where you're supposed to be going. And you essentially, because the place that you're living in is so uh, at risk, you actually have to get a bus there or, well, or and, call a cab. And by the time you arrange the bus to come from the hotel security, by the time it comes, by the time you get in it and go, it takes five minutes longer than what it would do if you were to walk. And that's the sort of thing which does put you a bit on edge. You think mm. it's literally over there. I have to cross a road and I am there. But yet you are told... To, to walk there. And I remember one of the first things that the hotel guy said to us on reception, if you go there, don't walk. Do not walk there, and especially do not walk there by yourself. I tell you what, Harmi, you've travelled and played in South Africa uh, many, many times. Uh, this would have been your first experience as a commentator. Um, what was the differences between being a player and, and being part of the talk sport team? Well, I suppose, you know, both... The, the West Indies trip and the, the South Africa trip opened my eyes from a, a commentator's point of view to a player's point of view because when you're a player, you're, just, you're literally straight out of the dressing room, straight into a bus. More often than not, a lot of places, there was, it was a, a, a police guard straight to, the, straight to the hotel and then you were there. So you took a little bit by granted. You took a lot for granted and you know, a bit blase about things. I remember being in, in, the Santon, in the Santon Mall you know, me and Goffey just coming back and walking back in broad daylight, not a problem, straight down the road. It could only have been about 500 yards and you could see you could see hotel and you could see the Santon from there. And I remember after the first time we did it, the guy on reception said to us, uh, New Zealand were here last last year and what the New Zealand lads got, um, they, they got, they got held up at, uh, at, at gunpoint. And that was rugby, wasn't it? Harvey, uh, yeah, I was going to say, and we were like, I've never heard that in the cricket. And I went, no, no, the rugby. And there were two big lads as well. And it was like, wow, yeah. We probably shouldn't have walked there, Darren. <laughs> but, yeah, two... two Harmy, can you run faster than Goffey? <laughs> well, just a little bit. Just I don't a think so, Harmy. I'm, I'm a little bit bigger than Darren, Darren <laughs> is now. I'm fighting weight. It's gone up a little bit. So, But it, it, at the end of the day, it opened your eyes to say, wow, you know, we probably shouldn't have. But we did it a couple of times. I remember... I remember Christmas Day when I was like, we're coming out of the restaurant after, I think, eight, 
probably about eight or nine bottles of Castle, two or three bottles of chocolate block each, the <laughs> lovely red wine, nice Christmas lunch. And I'm going, I've had a few, and I'm going, I can see the hotel. I'm not getting a cab, I'm walking. I, I can see the hotel. Come on, Daz, we're going. So we walk about 500 yards, and this Novotel is getting, lights are getting closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, it was like, nope, that's the wrong one. We are walking in the completely <laughs> wrong direction. It is pitch black, and it's Christmas oh. night. So hopefully, the robbers might be polishing their new guns and not going to be coming out to get us. So it, it started brilliantly, to be fair. You know, I don't think you two, Harmy, were in the right state of mind to no. physically order a cab, were you? After, no. after a lovely Christmas luncheon. I tell you, actually, before you answer that, Harmy, because the listeners may be surprised to hear that the first time the TalkSport team, ahead of the most important <laughs> cricket tour that we've had in quite some time, mm-hmm. the first time we actually all got together, in fact, the first day we were all in the same country together was the day before Christmas morning. the first test match. And uh, we all rocked up at a, uh, a very nice brasserie-turned-grill-turned-bistro-turned-restaurant uh, in uh, the middle of Johannesburg and set about drinking all day and eating a lot of, a lot of steak and Sam um, was pestered by Jared Kimber's two children. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I love Jared. I love his two kids. If they're listening, I hope you're all okay. But I, I maybe drew, you know, Christmas lunch. I'm in South Africa, right? And I've got Mark Butcher there. England cricketing legend, voice of Sky Sports, got Darren Goff, one of England's, you know, greatest bowlers of all time. You know, Harmy's there as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I want to be positioned in between Goffy and Harmy. You know, me and Harmy had a bromance on, on previous tours, but I'm shoved up the other end. I've got two eight-year-olds either side of me, absolutely driving me mad. But um, it, it was all uphill from there. Well, Harmy, why was that, by the way? How come you... You know, you flew in the morning of of Christmas Day. Did you not want to, you know, get there, get organised, get ready for the first test, do a bit of research? We could have done some <laughs> some social media stuff. Or is that the way you roll these days? You took two hundred and twenty seven test wickets for England, and you think you can just, you know, turn up whenever you want? Well, I was with Darren. I, 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 halfway through December, when we decided that obviously everything was decided, who was going where and what, and I can remember the office ringing and saying, talking about booking flights. And I knew straight away after being in the Caribbean that I'm, go- I'm just going to do what Darren does. So I just <laughs> said, look, whatever Goffey's doing, I'll do. Because I know he's going to fight his corner not yeah. to go on Christmas Day. He wants to go He wants to go Christmas night so we can get their box in there. We've got family, have Christmas at home and then go. So I thought, right, I'll let Goffey fight the fight because he's very, very good at it. Anyway, we fly out on uh, on obviously the night of the night of Christmas Eve, ten so, o'clock. From, so he lost the fight. He lost the fight as he normally does, but <laughs> he put up a good one. And, and he twists it round, didn't he? Oh, I never wanted to yeah. leave yeah, on Christmas. He, he did, yeah. yeah. He but, always gets what he wants, doesn't he? In his but own I mind. tell you what, he did. He did get what he wants because he he, he rang me about, about a week before we we went out, and he went, "I've got a good one." I says, "What's that?" He says, "If we're going first class." I says, "You what?" He says, "We're going first class." I says, "How is Talksport going to pay for first class flights?" He says, "I didn't." News to me. He says, "I told them." He says, "I told them." I'll sort it out. I'll sort it out. He says, "I'm getting us two first class flights cheaper than business class." I says, "You what?" He went, "I'm getting two first class flights cheaper than business class." I says, "Where are we going via America?" And he went, "No, no, no." He says, "We're going straight down." I says, "Darren, I always said uh, you just you just do the fighting and I'll jump on your tail." And to be fair, he did. He got two first class flights 
Uh, cheaper than business class, and there we were it, in Heathrow, first class lounge, gold lounge, and then man of straight the onto the plane. Yeah, yeah. Yep, man of the people. There he is, two year, three year, <laughs> me and Darren, champagne on, jammers on. Different world, John. I better put our headphones in, and that was it. We sat and drank champagne most of the night. So as Santa was Santa Claus was going over the clocks. <laughs> Onto the British Isles, me and Darren were going the opposite way on uh, and I ain't on a British Airways 747 the, on our way to Johannesburg. The most surprising bit about that story, John, is you said that was news to you. I'm surprised you said that because Goffey went around telling every <laughs> single person he could possibly... He, he told the cleaner's room that he got business flat, same price as for first class. He went around and told every single person that he managed to get a good deal. I can't believe he didn't tell you that, John. No, he Ma- got, maybe he, got he a did. Good deal. Maybe, yeah. maybe he did, but there was a... Uh... I, there was a there's a brand of wine which we drank a lot of at the start of the, of the tournament, and as Harmy mentioned, it's called Chocolate Block. Mm. But I can't hear Chocolate Block without hearing Goffy saying it. So it's not it's not it wasn't a bottle of Chocolate Block. It was a bottle of Chocolate Block. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had too much Chocolate Block, so I blocked it out. There was one or two. There was one or two times when he did have too much, and we we started arguing because we'd argue like an old married oh, couple. And you two, there was oh, one that is I don't ridiculous. Know, I don't know if we've got time for it now, but there was one <laughs> argument I remember. It was in. It was right at the beginning of the tour. It was in Butcher's Grill, yeah. and it was between. I think to be fair. Was it about? Was it about? Richard it doesn't Dor- matter what it was about. I can't remember what it was about. I tell you what, though, the Sky was... Boys wouldn't come anywhere near us. No, no, no. They, they, they'd run. It was Steve Harmison, Darren Goff, Gareth Batty. It started off in the Butcher's Grill, and then ended up in the in, in the Hard Rock Cafe, which was a bar the other side of the square. And I can't remember what you boys were talking about. It doesn't but, matter. Oh my no. God! You boys were going at it. <laughs> you know, you, you you played cricket for fifteen years. You've you've watched it for fifteen years. You now commentate on it. End of the day's play, it was absolutely brutal, Harmy. Goffey took you to pieces, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you bought he, it, he always does. If you ask Darren, he always does. But this was all before the first test match. Well, look, we're going to talk about the first test match. Uh, it's coming up very, very shortly because there was as much drama on the field as there was off it. Um, and we will start by looking at that first test match. South Africa against England. It's Boxing Day 2019, and we are revisiting the four test match series. Myself, John Norman, Sam Ellard, and Steve Harmison, and you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. These illnesses, they happen. Yeah, it's not ideal, like you say. It's, you know, Stuart Broad, Joffre, and Leachy are three very important players for us, uh, that is for sure. It's not ideal, but these things happen in sport, and you have to manage them and get on with the game. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2, ahead of TalkSport 2's live and exclusive coverage of the South Africa Limited Overs series taking place at the end of November and start of December. Uh, we're taking this opportunity. Myself, John Norman, Sam Ellard, breakfast set number one, and also Steve Harmison, former world number one, uh, looking back at that four-test series. Guys, we've uh, talked a lot about drinking chocolate block. Um <laughs> But the serious stuff, um, in and around the build-up to the series, um, was pretty unsavoury. There's a real feeling now that uh, the illness that just was widespread throughout the test team, or the uh, the England squad, could have actually been coronavirus that we didn't even know. Either way, the England team, half of them were holed up in the hotel. There was question marks about who would be fit to play. Stuart Broad was ill, Joffrey Archer was ill. Um, They all got ill in the end. Mm. And here we are... Uh, Harmy on the 
on the verge of an icon series. You've got half the England team wrapped up in bed. You've got an England team that had just been beaten in New Zealand, coming up against the South Africa side, which had lost five in a row. This was an icon series, but there was plenty going wrong for both sides off the field. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think you're right about the coronavirus going, ticking it over there. I, I think about a week before we went over there, I felt... Terrible. I was, I was, I was laid up in bed. My whole family was, uh, and I think Goffey said the same. He was, he had a, a real struggle just before we went out there, and obviously England, England did the same. There was, there was probably seven or eight before that first Test match, either had had a, a week in, in in isolation in bed, or they were, they were they were feeling ill going in towards our Test match. So it wasn't ideal preparation. And when you look at the South African side, the South African side really before that first Test match. They were they were aside in a little bit of transition. They've they've always been a complete shambles off the field. Whether you know whether whether it's been the sort of the quota system has overshadowed team selection, or whether it's been you know little pockets of you know the the, the guys from the Titans and the guys from Joburg, the guys from Pretoria and the guys from uh, Cape Town. It's a little bit a little bit like the Caribbean islands when it comes to their selection and and who is in charge of like head of selection. And all of a sudden, this gets ripped up. Graham Smith's now in charge. Jack Callis is coming in as a batting consultant. Mark Boucher's now as coach. So they're trying to get sort of steady their ship while England are just basically trying to have a head count. And I think on, I remember on that first morning, standing, waiting at the bottom of them, long steps coming down. And I think it was Jimmy Anderson I was talking to, and he just said, look, we only had 13 fit men. And we've got 18 players out here. We've only got 13 fit men. So to get England into an 11 was quite difficult for the for the selection team. I remember. I mean, I think it was obviously a, a, a bit of a joke. But, you know, I remember, I think George DeBell did it in his piece for ESPN Quick Info. He sort of mentioned the fact that the way things were going, you know, Gareth Batty, who was obviously part of our team, might have potentially, mm. he could have played in that first test match, just depending on how the illnesses fell. It was, again, it, it could have happened, couldn't it? Yeah, that's a great point. I completely forgot about that. But Jack Leach, we now know, I mean, the guy was perilously close in terms of illness. He's got uh, Crohn's disease. He's got, uh, you know, he does have illness uh, as it is. He'd just been in New Zealand where he picked up septicemia, I think. Um, then again, he, then he came down with coronavirus. England weren't, aren't blessed. They're not now with... Huge spin bowling stock. And it wasn't just George, was it? George DeBell. There was a yeah. few articles yeah. there. I've was... never seen... I mean, Bats goes pale at times, doesn't he? But <laughs> yeah. he, he looked terrified. The thought that he might get the tap on the shoulder and saying, can you play... Yeah. He, 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 it was not a proud and Gareth Batty. I thought it would be a good one. idea. I thought it would be a good idea at the time to put, to get him into the squad just in case anybody else went down. And I think Goffey argued, and there's a couple of other people argued with me. But I thought it would be a good idea as well if he's in the squad. Then you've got the experience that you've got around because it wasn't just young players that were getting it. There was some lot of senior players going down and missing two or three days of practice here, two or three days of practice there. And we all know what Bats is like. And I think the England the England selection team know what Bats is like because I've picked him before not long ago. And I thought it would have been a good idea just to take him for a week and, and see if, one, he gives them a little bit of experience. And two, if he has to, he has to play, then you know, at least he's, he's got some time under his belt. I've got to pick, I just want to pick you up on one thing, Harmi, you mentioned there, by the way. You said the long walk down the steps. Oh, my goodness me. Mm. My job as one of, the, one of the producers on tour, I'd say the most challenging aspect of that job for me, John, was getting the ex-cricketers like Steve Harmson, Darren Goff, 
down onto the pitch. Because I promise you, especially with Goffey, every single day, no matter where we were, what ground, what venue, no matter how long the walk was, <laughs> there was a bloody moan. Like, I should come up with some sort of, like, invention to get them from the top of the commentary box down to the pitch. Harmony, we managed to sort you out with a special pass, which meant you didn't have to walk all the way around. You could go through the dressing rooms, right? It was, like, 50 steps. It was a two-minute walk, and you're moaning about a long walk. Can you be any more boring? Harmony, <laughs> I, I won't let you answer. We've We've, no. got, we've got to get on with some actual highlights. But one thing I will say to Sam is, can you remember Goffey's reaction in, <laughs> yes. in uh, Colombo, was it? And that third test match when you had to walk him through the crowd. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. No, look, oh, we, we can't we, no, no, tell no, the people we're about gonna, that. We're going to do this again, hopefully with Gareth Batty, looking back at Sri Lanka. Uh, I'll remind you of that story. We'll, we'll do that then. But look. Let's talk a little bit about cricket because for all the the problems, you did mention Jimmy Anderson and this, after five months out, he, of course, hobbled out of the ashes um, in 2019. Am I going? Yeah, yeah. That's right, It was four overs into the first test of the ashes. I started to doubt myself then. Um, But it was back and it was his 150th test match. And let's just hear a little bit about Darren Goff and Neil Manthorpe discussing Jimmy Anderson's uh, longevity. He must be sore, Goffey. I mean, sore in lots of places. Oh, he, he must be. He must be. But uh, he's such a fit lad, though, isn't he? You only have to look at him today. I must admit, I saw him uh, this morning. I've not seen him for a couple of months. He's been away. I know he's been training um, as normal with the football teams back home, whether it be Man City, whether it be Burnley, his true love, Burnley FC. Uh, but he, he looked really, really fit uh, this year. And he's going to have to be. We've got to remember, it's his 38th year now. Right? He's played all those test matches, so many wickets. And it must be taken out of his body. I know what my body feels like after the overs I bowled. I probably, to be fair, I probably bowled the same amount of bowls as he has. Uh, but I just bowled mine. Yeah, first class cricket. Yeah, first class cricket and um, test matches. But he's bowled most of his cricket has been international, and he's been such a fine ambassador, such a great bowler. But like I said, from watching him though the years with a new bowling hand in English conditions, I promise you, uh, and I've said this many a times on air. I have not seen any, any, and I mean any, better bowler when conditions suit in English conditions than Jimmy Anderson. So Jimmy Anderson, the England team, we're all ready. It's Boxing Day. We've all got sore heads. <laughs> uh, some of us really hung over. Some of us haven't commentated for about 10 months and have uh, forgotten how to do it. And then something truly bizarre happens, Sam. Yeah, I mean, sore heads. A poor photographer had a sore ankle not long after. <laughs> we're, we're all getting ready. Jimmy and the, and the boys are about to go out bowling first. The excitement, isn't it, John? That's what we love. We're building up to it. And this this gentleman, he's got his camera in his hand. He's taking pictures of the boys. He's moving backwards. Over he goes. <laughs> Rolls on his ankle. Is in serious agony. And he stopped play, didn't he? He delayed play. We started at, what, four or five minutes past yeah. 11? Because the photographer went over on his ankle. And it was just, I mean, talk about a false start. Absolutely unbelievable. But when we did get uh, action underway, well, uh, things started happening pretty quickly. Here's Jimmy Anderson. First delivery to Dean Elgar. Down the leg side. He's got an edge. He's got a first ball. <laughs> so Jimmy Anderson, on his 150th test match, he hasn't played for five months. He strangles Dean Elgar. That's the terminology, isn't it? And England go bang, bang, bang. Um, 97 for four becomes 111 for five when Fafta Plessis out. And you're thinking... Um, after England had won the toss, decided to bowl first, which is the modern way of things, it seems, these days. You're looking at a br- very brittle-looking South African lineup, um, and they're really under pressure. Um, but then things 
started to switch. Quinton de Kock came in. Uh, England started to bowl very short. And uh, Quinton de Kock blazed his way to 95. The game, essentially, we would look back on and agree, changed in a moment. Um, and this is what Harmy had to say on the day. Fantastic inning so far by Quentin de Kock. Exactly what South Africa needed. And when Flaf Duplessis left and then Quint, uh, Rassi van der Soen, he left. You're looking at England thinking, right, we can bowl these out for 180, 190. Uh, but South African, you know, the spirit, the way they've come out after, after lunch, after the break, has been a positive manner. In, that's in everything they've done. That's in defence. When you're looking to defend, they've gone forward. There's been a purpose of going forward, full face of the bat, back down the, back down the pitch. Um, so it's encouraging for, signs for South Africa. Rassi van who? Yeah, who's right, that? I've struggled who, with that one. Yeah. Who's, who's the number four, Hamid? I've struggled with Rassi van der Dussen, didn't I? Yeah, he was, <laughs> he's got him in the end. But it, it did, to be fair, Quint, if you wanted anybody to come in, and we've seen in the IPL uh, when we've watched you know, how well Quentin de Kock does counter-attack, he did counter-attack well, but... I thought England just just let them off the off the hook a little bit. When you look at, especially when you've got at Dwayne Pretorius coming in at number seven, who's making his debut, and Rassi van der Dussen batting at number five, England didn't really grasp the the game by the scruff of the neck, especially with the likes of Broad, Anderson, and Archer, you know, with ball in hand and tail up. But, homie, in a situation like that though, when England get off such a good start, they bowl so well with a new ball. And then they get it so wrong. They're bowling short. They're bowling over the place. Is that up to the captain, Joe Root, to get his bowlers together and say, no, this is not how we're bowling? Is it up to the head coach, Chris Silverwood, to get a message out there? Or is it up to the senior bowlers, Anderson and Broad, to, to change things? And quite clearly, bowl fuller. The, well, there's, there's, a few, there's a few things in that, Sam, when you're talking about, I thought, leadership, big time. And I think I said it. I was quite passionate. I, I lost me. I lost me toys. I think by the end of the day, that I couldn't understand what was going on. And I and I look back at times when I played, and there there are times where you do have a when you're on the field, you have a complete and utter brain fit where you just think, right, I'm going to bowl short. I'm going to I'm going to bounce these. Yeah, the number nine, number ten, number eleven. Yeah, they'll not fancy it. But then all of a sudden, I get a tap on the shoulder off a. And Andrew Flintoff or an Ashley Giles or you know, a Hoggard or, or Jones and say, come on, just remember, the stumps don't move. They're batting at number 11 for a reason. If you hit the top of off six out of six, they'll miss one of them because of the nature of where they're batting. So there will always be somebody on the field. And I thought there was a lack of leadership on that first day by the end of the day. And there wasn't a message coming out. There's people going on and off. I think Anderson had been off a couple of times. are still poorly. Mm. And then all of a sudden, England just let them let South Africa off the hook and let Quentin de Kock dictate to the way the game was played between T and, and, the, and the close of uh, the end of day one. You can hear... Harmy losing the plot because we've got that. England uh, were in a good position after South Africa were bowled out for 284. 142 for three. Joe Denley had just brought up his uh, sixth test match at 50 and then they crumbled. We will discuss that and uh, listen back to a little bit more of Harmy, Gareth Batty and some of the others discussing the bowling and you're listening to a look back at the uh, four test series between England and South Africa uh, last year here 
live and exclusively on TalkSport 2. And this is a Cricket Collective. Short ball pulled away by Faf Duplessis, and emphatically so. Six runs over square leg. Uh, it's important to be aggressive, that is for sure. Yeah, interesting one. Uh, I suppose, well, the umpires have to deal with it. Um, that's why it's called the purest format. You know, don't try silly things, and, you know, that can cost you not bowling another ball in the innings. Um, but, yeah, like I said, you know, the umpires will have to make a call on it, and hopefully they'll make the right one for the game moving forward. This just does not make sense for me whatsoever. We've got a pitch which... I'm absolutely flabbergasted at what's happening here. Quentin de Kock has caught six catches. They've had two bowled because they've pitched the ball up. Philander, Rabada, everybody's pitched it up and got wickets. In England, they're bowling short balls with a 6-3 field. It doesn't make sense. I'm actually thinking it typifies England the way they've been thinking throughout this whole test match, the way they've played this test match. I can't believe what I'm watching. I'm frustrated. I really, really am. And having watched England bowl today. I mean, you'd, you'd think you were bowling at, I don't know, you'd be bowling at Virat Kohli or something with a field like this on a, on a flat one. You're listening to the Cricket Collective uh, ahead of TalkSport 2's live and exclusive coverage of the upcoming limited over series in South Africa comprising of three T20s and three ODIs. We're looking back at the four test series. Myself, John Norman, Sam Ellard and uh, Steve Harmison. Um, uh, we're looking back at that first test match which uh, took place at uh, Centurion South Africa thanks to Quinton de Kock had made 284 in first innings. And then England has subsided. 142 for three became 181 all out. Uh, you mentioned, uh, or you just heard Steve Harmison there, uh, berating the short pitch nature of England's bowling in South Africa's second innings. Uh, Rory Burns in England's first caught Quinton de Kock. Dominic Sibley caught Quinton de Kock. Denley, Root, Stokes all caught Quinton de Kock as was uh, Joss Butler. Um, And that really told the tale of England's first innings. But when South Africa came in, they posted 272. It was just a different way of going about things. Geoffrey Archer came under a lot of criticism uh, following the match, despite... Steve Harmison taking yet another fifer. Are you have you calmed down yet? By the way, yeah, I was I was irate. I just couldn't understand what was what was happening. And I, I go back to the leadership of the the guys off the field. And I think this was, the, the, I think this was, I'm nearly sure this came to the the halt of me, Gareth Batty, and and Darren Goff having the argument in in the butcher's grill that Sam alluded to earlier. I think this is this is where it stemmed from. I think it was leadership. <laughs> what a good and production it, meeting that was. It, it was. It was a it was a great production meeting. But it was it was le- leadership. Leadership of who actually on the field is leading this group, who actually off the field is seeing what's going on, where you've got the likes of Paul Collingwood and Graham Thorpe, you know, experienced players who have played hundreds of test matches and I'm watching I'm watching 90 mile an hour bowler bowling balls which are flying over people's heads who have got no chance of hitting Stuart Broad at 80 mile an hour was trying to do the same and it just seemed as though there was potentially because of lack of uh, games before the before the tournament uh, before the first test match bowlers were trying to sort of get into rhythm and get up to speed that way and it, I just think it went horribly horribly wrong and now we're looking back at it and hindsight's a wonderful thing you see what happened over the four test matches when England did pitch the ball or put the, right, the ball in the right area. It was a different story, but for a, a two-day period, England just completely lost the plot. South Africa went on to win the test. Rabada is in. Broad is outside leg stump. Rabada is full. Rabada is straight. And the stumps have gone over. He puts his hands on his knees 
bends over, doesn't celebrate, but the rest of his teammates do. They're sprinting towards the world's number two fast bowler in congratulation. The umpires uh, shake the hands of Stuart Broad and Jimmy Anderson. Faf de Plessis goes to congratulate Jimmy Anderson, doubtless on um, his achievement of his 150th test match cap. But the South Africans will take the victory. They will take all of the plaudits. It has been a quite superb performance from the home team. England, battered, bruised, sick, ill, poorly, have been uh, driven into the ground in the end. They've lost by 107 runs in this first test match. And that was it. Um, England losing the test heavily, but they did show some fight. I know, and I know that's a bit of a, an easy thing to say. Um, Joe Root has very often come out after a defeat and talked about how pleased he was with the application. But I suppose there were some signs that, you know, England were going to compete. The target was 376. But, you know, at one stage they were 92 without loss, another 202 for three. It was 84 for Rory Burns, 48 for Root, um, and a lot of crease occupation. There were some signs there, but really, uh, Harmy, that the damage really had been done uh, in, in when South Africa batted rather than when England did. Yeah, but damage was done. End of the back end of both both innings, to be fair, first and second innings for South Africa. You know, when you when you look at it, 100, 198 for six um, in the first innings, and they got two eight four, and in the second innings, uh, Philander forty six second innings. That was a difference for me when England tried to go too hard with a short ball, lost their plot, and you know the game got away from them. But the signs of um, Rory Burns eighty four. We've seen a little glimpse of Dominic Sibley, but you're sitting there at the end of the test match thinking, same old, same old for England in first test matches. I, I tell you what, they're watching. You know, I know England were poor with the ball, but one of my favourite aspects of that whole tour was watching Kagiso Rabada bowl. I know he's impressed, hasn't he, in the IPL over the last couple of weeks, but I don't know what you thought, Harmi, as a, as a fellow fast bowler, but I just thought all the way throughout that series, an exceptional, exceptional talent. Absolutely. He's a brilliant, fantastic bowler. And he, during this during this IPL, we've had, had the, the sort of comparison between him and Jasper Brummer. Are they the best two all-format bowlers? And they probably are. But there's another one who met his mark literally on Boxing Day. First day we saw him. And we're thinking, you know, what are we going to get from Enrique Nokia? And then all of a sudden, for four test matches, that guy was brilliant. Yeah. He was fantastic during that. First test match, five for... 98, I think he had, and he was brilliant throughout the whole of the, the Test Series. But he sort of come under South Africa's radar and England's radar during that Boxing Day Test match. So England are humbled inside four days. We get a day off in uh, in Johannesburg. And you know what? You're talking about that argument in, in the uh, Butcher's Grill. Yeah. It's actually two different nights. There was one, the big one, yeah. at Butcher's Grill. But then there was another one, uh, which was the night, after the, the night of the fourth Test. Uh, night of the fourth day of the first test <laughs> and I know it because I rocked up at the Hard Rock Cafe with Vish from the Independent yeah and remember that, yeah. Uh, there was Harmy sitting there with a daft grin on his face laughing as Goffey was shouting at him there was Mark Butcher um, dancing to the music but also weighing in uh, with the argument and Gareth Batty uh, the, completing the foursome just Essentially talking or shouting to himself. <laughs> yeah, and, we, and we rocked up. And I sat in for a bit and Vish just t- turned to me. And went, <laughs> as we were watching these four former cricketers of international renown essentially shout at the top of their voices in an empty in bar, bar. And tapped to me and said, this is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. And I turned around and said, 
This is what happens every night. <laughs> every single night for six weeks. I mean, what do, do you remember, Harmy, what, what you boys were arguing about? Coffee was trying to wind us up about... I, I can't remember what it was about now, but I, in the end, I got to him, and then once I got to him, I knew I had him. I just kept yeah. poking him with a little bit, and then I'd leave him for a little bit, and then I'd come <laughs> back. you just wind him up like one of those wind-up toys. He'd, he'd go again, so... But but, that, Butch was it. clever, though, Harmony, as well, because Butch was very clever. He sort of makes out as if he doesn't really want to get involved in the arguments. He's too cool for that yeah. sort of stuff. But he sort of comes in, drops a grenade in, then goes, doesn't he? He's very, very clever, Butch, in these arguments. Meanwhile, could, Bats is just in the corner shouting Shouting at himself, <laughs> isn't he? <laughs> After a few beers, anything can happen with Gareth Batten. <laughs> guys, was, guys, we're going to have to wrap. We've got, we've got, we've still got Cape Town to talk about, <laughs> and that's coming very, very shortly here on the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies. In the culinary capital of the Caribbean, there truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Rabada is in. Broad is outside leg stump. Rabada is full. Rabada is straight. And the stumps have gone over. England, battered, bruised, sick, ill, poorly, have been uh, driven into the ground in the end. They've lost by 107 runs in this first test match. You just get on with it. Yes. Uh, the game itself doesn't change. You know, this, it's still the same format. I had some very good results as captain and um, with a you know, 
a very talented squad of players here, so you know, very confident that we can we can turn that round and, and put in a real performance this time round. And the most important thing is what happens between the four walls of our dressing room, making sure we prepare as well as we can, making sure we're really clear about how we want to approach this week. I can relate to it. You know, losers home or away, you always you always wear the pressure on your shoulders as a skipper. You want to make sure that you put in results. There will be a little bit of pressure on him now um, because of the results point of view. I've listened to a couple of the, the, the statements of the people in the dressing room there and they sound like they're very happy with him as, as captain and, and, and he's got their full support. Um, so, yeah, that's why we, we're very aware of, of him and, and also his team. So the pressure very much on England as uh, we, the TalkSport party, saw in the new year. Uh, guests of Alzat um, travel and uh, Don Topley, former Essex Seamer, um, using Steve Harmison, one of his anecdotes in front of 150 uh, people, yeah. uh, called him Simon. Simon, yeah. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> I know. Unbelievable. Could have been, it could have been worse. He could have called me Hoggy because I've put a bit on, but Hoggy's got a bit bigger. So got, I got... think he meant he was thinking Simon Harmer. Yeah, that's rather, he did, yeah. Rather than yeah. Simon James. You'd rather it was Simon like James. You've got one job done. You've, got, you've, only got, you've only got two former, three former England cricketers there. And he managed to get one of their names wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'd it rather Simon speech, Jones, though. to be fair. He's like an Adonis. He ain't changed a, he exactly. ain't changed no, yeah. a bit he since he played. Harmy was like, oh, yeah, he, he confused me with Simon Jones. I don't know. Simon Harmy. I'll tell you what, boys, I've got to say, I feel very privileged to tour. I don't want to moan for a second. But, 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 but come on, Darren. I just, <laughs> if I could change, I mean, don't, Don, if Don Topley's listening, it was a lovely evening. We had a nice meal, happy days. But as a 23-year-old, to be in a in, in, in a house at evening on New Year's Eve, surrounded by people that have an average age of about Saga 74, I don't know harm. If I could maybe do South Africa again, I'd maybe look for a better night out on New Year's Eve. What do you well, reckon? You've, you've... You're We've a grown. Well, I was going to say you're a grown. Harmy, you're a grown Harmy, lad. So you could have gone yourself. I'm not going out by myself. Harmy, no, go- look, we've seen Sam in action. Yeah. When he's out, fancy free, cutting loose, down with the kids. He's useless. <laughs> he comes <laughs> running back. He runs back every time with his tail between his legs and a tale of sorrow and woe. You talk. You talking brilliant. I tell you what, mate. I've played cricket with this guy so many times. Harmy, um, Sam. He talks the talk, but when he walks out there with his bat and he's got to face the bowler on his own, it's a very, a very different story. I tell you what, it is. When I go, when I come back from tour, everyone goes, oh, "It must be amazing to tour with so many former cricketers. It must be legendary." The problem's not me. The problem is the wingmen I have simply aren't good enough. Simply don't do their jobs. Harmy and Goffey, you both let me down on three tours now. Sam, I've got I've got a grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> Goffey's got two thirty year old sons. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're I, asking him you're asking him for chariot lines on beer mats so you can go off and see what you can do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you know what it was though, Harmy? That New Year's Eve. The thing yeah. that you and Goffey were we just, we dipped you wanted out. to play golf, didn't we you? You were looking forward to playing golf the next day. Where did you play golf that We played New golf day? the next day as as a uh, invite from Sir Jeffrey Boycott and I can't thank him enough he was absolutely brilliant great company yep name drop he was great <laughs> company um, he didn't actually play but he helped me and Butch against uh, Goffey and one of Goffey's mates he helped me and Goff, me and Butch beat Darren Goff 
in, basically in the first four holes because every shot that Coffey hit, Jeffrey told him that he was doing it wrong and he should have hit it another way. And we were four up after four and Coffey never never came back. But fantastic complex. But that's why we dipped out. It was about an hour from the hotel and I think we teed off. We had to tee off at eight o'clock in the morning. So we disappeared. I think you left the New Year's Eve party before the New Year came in, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it it like a saga holiday. You know, <laughs> we have 40 years on most of them. So we just left you to it. <laughs> Uh, let's turn our attention back to the cricket because if you were to stop most cricket fans in any country in the world and ask them to name their best cricket ground, then this one where we were at uh, will will be there if they've been there or not. It's uh, it's the iconic Newlands in Cape Town. And um, Sam, walking into that ground for the first time, we're both huge cricket fans. We've never, or hadn't up until that point, played on that ground, but we did yeah. uh, on what would have been day six. You, it's very difficult to put into words the, the 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 grandness of that ground with the colonial stands, the grassy banks, uh, and the backdrop of Cape Town's uh, Cable Mountain. It's it's everything that we thought it would be and more. I, I remember New Year's. Honestly, I remember it so well. New Year's Day, um, getting there two days before the second Test match, with a headache, and you walk in for the first time, and then you're on one side of the grass bank, and you look across the other side, and you just see. The t- table mountain, and it is just the most picturesque thing you will ever see. It is just iconic. Of all the three tours that I've done, South Africa, uh, West Indies, um, and Sri Lanka, hands down the best ground. And we also went back there to do a day night game in the one day series, and it looks unbelievable as well under the lights at night time. Um, picturesque, and that test match was magical for so many different reasons. The venue was unbelievable, and the atmosphere for the five days at Newlands. It was like a foot. It was like being at a football match. It was fantastic. Well, let's look at the game. I did just call it Cable Mountain, good, yeah. and the reason I did so, I think, is because Justin Langer, I believe this is true, thought it was called Cable Mountain, named after the cable car. But <laughs> you're joking. <laughs> I think that's true. It probably isn't. Anyway, let's look at the <laughs> test match. Um, look, loads of pressure on Joe Root in England, Chris Stocks, um, and also Phil Walker. Chris Stocks in the Mail, I think. Uh, and Phil Walker in Wisden uh, magazine had both said that the time was now for Joe Root to maybe step aside. Um, you know, the captaincy affecting his batting, the results hadn't been good enough. England had just lost in New Zealand. They're 1-0 down here in South Africa. Um, they'd drawn against Australia, of course, uh, and their record overseas didn't bear scrutiny. We'd been in uh, in West Indies when they'd lost to uh, to the West Indies 2-1 and here we are again and it seemed to be as the innings progressed same old failings for England uh, plenty of starts um, but not too much substance 269 after batting first and what looked like a pretty good track uh, wickets all around Philander, Rabada, uh, Nokia, Maharaj and uh, Dwayne Pretorius with a couple as well South Africa came into bat and England had no Joffre Archer. Let's hear what Harmy had to say about that decision. Looking at this attack, Anderson, Broad, Curran are going to hold the game for me. You know, Stokes, I just worry with this attack potentially, where's my, where's my battering ram? And if it is Stokes, batting at number five, I think we're going to ask too much of him. And so it looked like it was proving to be. Stuart Broad, as we know, with the new ball, uh, continued his wonderful form of uh, 2019. Milan, who'd been brought into the side on debut. Hamza, who was struggling at three. And Fafta Plessis, who also was uh, looked all over the place. Uh, South Africa in trouble early. And then a partnership between Dean Elger and uh, Van der Dusen. 
who impressed uh, as the series went on. And it looked like they were just hauling in uh, England's target. And then a really crucial moment in the series that took place and also in the career of Dominic Bess. England hadn't played a spinner in the first test match, Harmy, but they played a spinner in the second test match. Now, a little window into the world of commentary. I can tell you, and I'm not saying that Harmy said this because he didn't, but I was sat on uh, the balcony. I just t- stepped away from the production for a side. Stan was step- had stepped in. And essentially, Joe Root was uh, enforcing a very defensive field to Elgar and tempting him to make a big shot. And I couldn't move for very experienced journalists telling me that this was never, ever going to work. But it did work. Elgar did eventually take the bait. Uh, he holed out. Um, Dominic Best got the wicket. And that was a huge turning point in the match. Dom Best comes in. Right arm round to the left-handed Elgar. And Elgar goes long and he's slicing away. And it's Joe Root who's under it. And Joe Root has taken it. And Dom Best has made the breakthrough. So from 40 for three to 157 for three. And within touching distance of England's first innings at score... Suddenly, England back on top. And it was thanks uh, to Jimmy Anderson, who took another fiver. But that wicket of Dean Elgar, 12 short of a century, by Dominic Bess, was a big moment on that day. And actually, it was a big moment in the series as well. Yeah, it was It was huge because it wasn't so much... The, well, we mentioned, you heard my comments earlier about you know, tying England, England having the game by, by the by holding the game but not having a battering ram to sort of really go hard at at South Africa and that's what it, what's happened in in that innings because when you look at it it England got a, a, a couple early wickets but Van der Dussen batted 187 balls for 68 and Elgar batted 180 balls for 88 so there was a long time just ticking out of the game just by grinding England down and grinding England down and Having that battering ram or having that wicket taker would have, you would hope, could be the, the partnership breaker. And it was. It was a good bit of captaincy by Joe Root. It was a punt. It was a little bit of a gamble. And then all of a sudden, you know, once Dominic Best took that wicket, Anderson then, we, Anderson got a ball that started to just started to move a little bit. And he uh, he got the last four wickets for, you know, for very, very little. But at that point, you were, during that partnership, you were just thinking, right, right. Why didn't we have a wood plane? I think Wood had just more or less got there as well. So why didn't we have a wood plane? Why didn't we have an archer plane? Because this is same old, same old for England when it comes to the bowling department. Pierce Wise, you know, Sam Curran, fair enough, he's, he's a different angle. But I think that it really hit home there during that partnership of England's plan of attack going forward that we need to have a fast bowler in the team. And it wasn't until, you know, come of the hour, come of the man, Ben Stokes, till the, the back end of South Africa's second innings that we really showed that because we've got a 90-mile-an-hour bowler, this is what actually can be done. Sam, you uh, were out and about uh, when you weren't producing coverage. You were, you were in with the Barbie mm. Army. Give us a little bit of a, a, a description about how that was for the first couple of days, first two or three days, um, and then we can revisit when you were there back in with the Barmy Army for day five. Yeah, so it, obviously it got a lot more louder as, as the test match went on, but I still remember um, it was the New Year test match. Um, I remember speaking to, to Chris Millard from the Barmy Army. He, he runs it, he's in charge of it, and he spoke about how there was going to be 
Uh, loads of fans coming out. And really, right from day one of that test match, the atmosphere, in particular on the grass bank, was something that I've never seen before at a test match. I mean, in England, Edge Baston is always lively, but nothing in terms of atmosphere, in terms of noise, will beat that test match. And they just, they're on the grass bank, they're having a good time, they're singing songs, they're having fun. Little things happen. I remember that Ramesh Ranganathan and Rebecca were out there recording stuff. They got in with the Barmy Army. You know, during tea, NASA would be over there doing stuff. He'd get plenty of stick. After the end of the, te- the, the day's play, an England player would normally go and conduct an interview over there. They'd have fun with them. There, it, the, the atmosphere was just brilliant. It started off quieter in the morning. Obviously, it gets a bit louder throughout the afternoon and louder throughout the test match. But there was just a really good atmosphere, really good vibe. The South African fans, they got involved as well. And um, when I look back on that test match, the way it ended was magical. But what also added to it was the atmosphere, the intense atmosphere, which was just fantastic. So, England first innings, 269. South Africa first innings, 223. So, a lead for England, and they made it count after the five for Jimmy Anderson uh, in his 151st Test match, a maiden Test century for Dominic Sibley. Um, Dominic Sibley, I saw at the end of that Test match, and it was a really wonderful little moment. Uh, we'd been out; I can't remember where we'd been um, down at the waterfront somewhere. It was the evening of that fifth Test match, and uh, I got back to the hotel. We were staying in the same hotel as the England cricket team. I got in the lift, and just as the doors were shutting, guy jumped in, and it was Dominic Sibley. We only went up a couple of floors. And I just said to him, mate, well done, fantastic innings, um, and uh, you must be really pleased. And, you know, he wasn't uh, half cup, but he'd had a couple of drinks, and he just looked at me with, I would say, one of the happiest faces I've ever seen in my life. And you could just see what it meant to him. He'd done it. He'd scored a century, and as we know, he's, he's scored another one since. And that century, as well as innings from Joe Root, 61, Ben Stokes, 72, remember that name, by the way, um, meant that England could declare after all that. 391 for eight. But, as Harmy alluded to, South Africa had taken time out of the game. Was there enough time for England to take the 10 wickets they needed to win the match and square the series? We'll find out very shortly here on the Cricket Collective on TalkSport. Man is in tight to the stumps to Ben Stokes, who, uh, oh, that's just brilliant. And goes for Lander. He tries the short ball and Stokes, well, I mean, it's... It's like candy to a baby, really. Stokes has gone through the leg side again. He's smoked over mid-wicket, and that is four more. Here's Kahisa Rabada, short, pulled oh. away by Stokes for his 50. Down the wicket comes Stokes, and he's gone high and long and straight, and all the way, this time for six. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Myself, John Norman, Sam Ellard, and uh, Simon uh, Harmison, looking back <laughs> at... The uh, 2019-20 Test Series between South Africa and England. The reason we're doing that is because TalkSport 2 once again have the rights at this time for the upcoming South Africa Limited Over Series. So what better reason uh, to look back at uh, two months of fun times in the sun? Could certainly do a little bit of that now. So where were we in this uh, second Test match, one that England had to win? Well, uh, we were running out of time, but it was thanks to uh, Sibley, a patient 133, and also Ben Stokes, who had blazed away uh, late in the day to hit 74. It meant we came to the fifth day at Cape Towns. Um, England needing a lot of work to do, Harmy, but a test victory within their grasp. Yeah, absolutely. And it was that momentum that Ben Stokes give, give England to go and get 
them 10 wickets. He got 72 or 47 balls. He hit seven fours in three sixes. But he was also helped on the other end when, when Josh Butler came in. He hit two sixes. Sam Curran came in, got 13 or 15. Well, I hit 13 or 15 balls. But I think the, the whole momentum shift of Dom Sibley's 300 ball 100 and the euphoria of that. And Fafty Plessy started to, to sort of try and waste time. There was a lot of field spreading for when Ben was going. And he was just... But Sam mentioned before, the crowd started lift. The crowd started to go. And as the crowd was going, it seemed to go. Ben seemed to go. And I was surprised it took Joe Root in the uh, when England came out with the ball. It took took him a while to give the ball to Ben Stokes. I know there was an, a fitness element to it. And there was an injury uh, caution towards Ben Stokes. But I think the the way the, the, the Barmy Army were going and the way England sort of back end of the third innings of the test match had gone, Early on in the game, I would have, early on in the innings, I'd have thrown the ball to Ben Stokes and see what he could have given me. But I think the drama came right at the very end because England did start off well with the ball, but it just looked as though time was gonna just gonna go wear thin on England and they were gonna run out of time and not being able to get over the line in this second Test match. Uh, Kevin Peterson, uh, looking back at the Fafter Plessis tactics, uh, I joined the Talksport team for that second Test match. Um, let's have a little listen to what he was ha- he had to say about Faf de Plessis. I mean, it's crazy. Absolutely crazy. I'm dumbfounded. Faf de Plessis is now on the screen. Now Ben Stokes is on the screen. Ben Stokes in the previous over. Last ball of the previous over. Hit a long hop to deep square leg. Another full ball and he just caresses it beautifully over mid on for six. Faf de Plessis now puts a long on back. Uh, uh, I don't know. I've got nothing to say. I mean, for me, listen, John, we, we covered all the press conferences, don't we, before and after the game. And I know there was a lot of talk before the first test match for a ball was bold about his position as the captain, his form of the bat was terrible. But throughout that whole series, he, he looked like a man that knew his reign was coming to an end. He wasn't leading from the front. I think some of his decisions about the whole series were, were weak and poor, none more so than in that second test match. And again, what didn't help him was that his form of the bat throughout the whole series was just so poor. I don't know what you thought, Harmy, but it just felt like to me throughout that whole series he was lo- that the team had lost confidence in him, the fans lost confidence in him, and it always felt as if that coming into that series he was never going to carry on as the captain. It looked as if it all just got a little bit too much for him. I think as well, going into that, Faf had been around the world more times than Phileas Fogg playing in all these different tournaments. And I think a lot of it, I think he was tired. I think mentally he was tired. I think physically he had, he had, had zapped a lot of energy. Um, as well as that, I think he was involved in a lot of this in-house fighting. Yeah, you've got to remember. Just it was literally it was only about three weeks, two, three yeah. weeks before the tour, yeah. before the for the tour started, that that Graham Smith got the job as director of cricket. Mark Boucher, his his coach, you know, because Faf's, yeah, I think Faf's a, a Titans guy as well. All of a sudden, to get himself from having all these meetings and scratching his head, thinking, "What am I? What am I in charge of here? This rabble is is just not listening to me." To all of a sudden trying him to get himself up as well as I think there was one or two selections issues that Faf wanted and he didn't get. And I think all that came to head during that second test match. And then it, it, it subsequently followed on for the, the third and the fourth test match as well. I think Faf's days as South African captain, you're right, were numbered. But I, I, it just looked as though he was a, a broken man during that series. 
So here we were. It was day five and England needed to, to take those uh, 10 South African wickets. And South Africa got off to a great start and they really set their stall out. And it, for me, was very bizarre in the way that they went about their cricket. But if you look at just the dismissals, there were some really strange ones. So Peter Milan on debut hit 84 in 369 minutes. Three four. He faced 288 balls and hit three fours. So that tells you everything you need to know about the way that most of the South Africans were going about their business. But England had time and they were chipping away. Elgo uh, went for 34. Uh, can you remember who got him? Joe Denley. Oh, great memory. Huh? He always he just pulls it out. Well, he's got cricket info in front of him, hasn't he? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <It's not that. laughs> um, Hamza, 18. Maharaj, um, the night watchman, had gone for two. It's interesting to hear, though, uh, the Fafta Plessis wickets. Sweet shot, he's gone. Would you believe it? That is an unbelievable miscalculation from Fafta Plessis. Joe Root has brought the man up from deep backward square leg. He was up saving the one. And Fafta Plessis was tempted into going for the wide open spaces. And he smacked it straight at Joe Denley. And Don Bess has his second wicket in the test match. And it's a huge one. And Quinton de Kock did something very similar. He faced 107 deliveries before he did this. Quinton de Kock and that shot. And he's got it. He's just pulled it straight to mid-wicket. I can't quite believe what we've just seen. So two of South Africa's most experienced batsmen, Quinton de Kock and Fafta Plessis, had handed the initiative back to England because time was running out. And even with these wickets, England went into that final session needing five more scalps for victory. That is an ask. Sam, I know what it's like to be in the Barmy Army um, on the bank. There's something called the Barmy Army wicket. And essentially, if you've never been on tour with England, what happens is, it is as it sounds. The Barmy Army try and rouse themselves for one final assault. They get on their feet, they start waving the flags, singing the songs, drinking the beer. They direct all of their energy and attention uh, to the bowlers running in. They're trying to create something out of nothing. And Samson, it worked, didn't it? Yeah, it did. I mean, 237 for five. It looked for everything in the world. That game was going to be a draw. And then the sixth wicket was the Quinton wicket. And just from then on, England were always going to win that test match. Again, I, I mentioned earlier, but it was like being inside a football ground. It was loud. The bar, there were beers flying absolutely everywhere. And he talked to the players after the game. They mentioned it. The England fans got them over the line in that test match. It looked as if they ran out of steam. It was going to be a draw. And then that Quinton wicket fell. The atmosphere went up. And you just knew that after what we saw at Headingley in 2019, the World Cup final, I'm not saying what we saw at Newlands was as special as that, but I'm not being funny, boys. It pushed it close. It was a special way to kick off the new year. I tell you what, just to give listeners an idea, when Quinton de Kock was dismissed, it meant South Africa in that final session on day five. Remember, this is a four-test series. South Africa get out of this with a draw. They're 1-0 up with two to play. Um, and the pressure, again, would be on England, who would feel that they've, they've, they've lost. Essentially, a draw would feel like a loss. Quinton de Kock was out. The score, 237 for six. That was in the 121st over. That's how slowly South Africa had been batting. That's how much time had been taken out of the game. And they say, you mentioned uh, Boycott earlier on in the piece, playing golf. Uh, he's often said, one becomes two. 
And the very next over, Rassi van der Dussen, who had been at the crease for 140 deliveries and hit 17, was out, caught, I believe, at leg slip from the bowling of Stuart Broad. And suddenly, the atmosphere, as you just described perfectly, Sam, just went up from, from six or seven or eight to 10 out of 10. And there was just a feeling in the air, wasn't there, Homie? There was. It was unbelievable. And it, the one person you wanted to have ball in hand, it was Botham-esque, Flintoff-esque, mm. and it was Stokes-esque. This was, this was Ben Stokes' moment. I think Joe Root was reluctant to bowl him because of, I think he's the, he had a little bit of a niggle, a little bit of an injury. Reluctant to bowl him throughout this test match because um, he, he, uh, he didn't bowl him in the feet. He bowled a little bit in the first test match, but he didn't bowl much. But if you want somebody ball in hand, this was the man. Ben Stokes running back towards the uh, back towards the, the Barmy Army. He was running more up the hill, back towards Table Mountain, and all of a sudden the the the, the, the Barmy Army just kept sucking him up the hill, and he was bowling. It just got faster and faster. And in the end, he bowled. I think he, he bowled more or less that whole session. He, uh, he bowled 24 overs in the uh, in this in that in that fourth innings. And he was magnificent. He had the ball reverse swinging. He had the ball bouncing. He was very aggressive. Um, England's fields were you know, the, the, on top of the South African batsman. And the catch at the end, the catch to win it, I think it, it was... Wasn't it, it, wasn't was, it, it was it a drop? It, then... was a, it was typical. It was a typified the, the, what had happened for England for the last sort of 25 minutes, half an hour, that England, all blood, gusto, everything was going, bang, nick, fast nick, straight to Zach Crawley at about full slip. It hit him right in the middle of the palm of the hand, yeah. knocked him off his feet, yeah. and as he was as he was landing on his backside, the ball fell straight into his hands. It was, yes. And then it went absolute wild, and rightly so, because Ben Stokes had just pulled off an unbelievable, believable win for England, and you mentioned it right there. If South Africa hang on, they get to 1-0, with a draw, going to Port Elizabeth, the flattest wicket in South Africa, and all of a sudden South Africa have to change their plans because it's 1-1 and Benjamin Stokes has done it again. I was in the Barmy Army when that wicket fell and it was a special feeling. Harmy, for you, you've been to a lot more cricket matches than me. Was that one of the best atmospheres you've been involved in? It was well, as good as atmosphere as you'll get. I think every time you, you get them moments, you do say this is the best atmosphere you have get. So they are, they are again, you just... They're just so infectious. It doesn't just get Ben Stokes. It gets the the field inside. It gets the guy at short leg. It gets the guy at slip. It just raises him up. It gets his chest pulled out. Sort of, you know, if everybody feels 10 foot tall. And you go back to what John said before. You get a bit of luck because that Rassi van der Dussen, Jimmy Anderson's gone from mid-off having a conversation to Stuart Broad, who looks dead on his feet. Bear in mind, this kid has batted 140 balls for 17. And Jimmy Anderson runs from mid-off, talks to Stuart Broad, says, I fancy him at leg slip, runs over to leg slip, very next ball, little inside edge, into leg slip's hands. So when things are going your way, you do get an element of luck, and that's exactly what England had. But when you've got the momentum and the momentum shift and it goes in your favour, yeah, you talk about the both of them, you talk about the Stokes, uh, Flintoff, and you talk about Stokes. These are special characters. When things are needed and you're putting their hands up, the crowd goes, everybody goes, and the one man that leads the party is always that big key all-rounder, and Benjamin Stokes did that. Let's hear how it sounded on TalkSport 2. Stokes in again. Stick it. Smalls in it! It's been 
taken. Stokes has done it again. Just when England needed a hero, they found one. They managed to drag themselves over the line. Led by that man, Ben Stokes. A first win of Newlands since 1957. And Stokes has been England's man again. He was, man, he was the best man in 2019. He started 2020 with a bang. With a bang, an absolute bang. When his country needs him, Anderson struggling, Broad's bowled his overs, spinners looking as though you know, it's, not, it's not turning as much. What do you need? You need somebody to stand up. Ben Stokes has done that. The Barmy Army are making such a racket. They have all dear, they have all test match. And he deserves all the plaudits that he's going to get. An absolute fantastic performance by England. They've stuck out the task. Fair play to South Africa. They've battled hard. But what a performance by England to keep going, keep going and keep going right at the last minute. When the brick ball came up, you need the big fella to come to the party. And boy, he did. Great catch by Olipo. Fantastic effort by Ben Stokes. And congratulations to England. It's a fantastic victory. And it's one all into the series. Well, I couldn't put it any better than that. Steve Harmison and Guy Swindles in what turned out to be their final um, commentary of uh, the tour. They flew off, some others flew in, and there was going to be uh, a reunited pair, Kevin Peterson and Matt Pryor. Together again for the first time in quite some time, there was plenty to look forward to, and we are going to be covering it all here. Uh, the Cricket Collective goes back in time, a test of time, four test series between South Africa and England in 2019 20. Uh, and you're listening alongside myself, John Norman, Sam Allard, and Steve Harmson to the Cricket Collective. Remember, you can always download the following on podcast from Apple Podcasts, ACOS, Spotify, and now the free TalkSport app. Thanks for listening. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final, you can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 